feel like the Lord wants to bring some peace. That for some of us, our inner world has become a little bit jittery and God wants to restore a certain measure of spiritual equilibrium and reorder our inner selves. And so if that's you, I think the Lord is asking you, but you've got to lean back into his loving arms. You've got to spend the time in the embrace of the Father. He's longing to do it for you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are in the room. I pray for our brothers and sisters who are in their rooms uh, watching our live stream and for those who will watch at a later date. I just ask for a fresh measure of the Spirit to just wash over us, to fill us, to rest on us, to bless us, to correct us, to guide us. And if we are indeed in need of that measure of spiritual equilibrium in the soul and we're not there yet then I ask oh God as we lean back as we spend time in your presence would you reorder our inner worlds in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord amen amen good morning everyone good morning it is so great to see all of your smiley faces uh, welcome to this, the gathering of Seven Oaks Alliance Church. Uh, hello to our online community. We love you, and uh, we're glad that you are tuning in with us. Uh, if you're uh, a visitor here, if this is your first time, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors uh, that serves this congregation, and so uh, a special welcome to you. And I may not know you yet, but I'd love to get to know you, so come and, come and talk to me. I'd love to just meet you. Uh, we have had an incredible couple of days here at the church, and I know many of you were involved in that, but for those that weren't, I just want to tell you a little bit about what's been going on. We've had such a fabulous uh, time together. We have seen the Lord work in wonderful ways. We have seen some people healed, and I couldn't even tell you how many because the testimonies are still coming in, but people got healed on, uh, on Friday night, and it was wonderful. And Leslie couldn't lift, her, couldn't lift her hands right before Friday. Show us your hands. There we are. Look at that. So beautiful. So we've seen some people healed. We've seen a couple of people come to faith in Jesus over the last couple of days. Uh, we did somewhere in the region about 40 deliverances yesterday. And um, some incredible encounters with God that I don't even have time to tell you about, but we had some in incredible God moments. So it's just been wonderful, uh, such a blessing. I'm sorry if you missed it, uh, maybe next time. Uh, so I, I, we've had Jeremy and Carmen Kinneberg here with us. Jeremy has been leading us through the Soul Care Conference. And um, today is part two of the double blessing, uh, the, Kinneberg, the double Kinneberg blessing. So we get to hear from Carmen this morning. So uh, why don't you come up, Carmen? Carmen is... Uh, my friend and sister in Jesus, and I'm so excited to have you here uh, this morning. And uh, Carmen was a pastor at Vernon Alliance Church for a number of years, and um, uh, Carmen and Jeremy together for about two and a half years ago-ish founded mm -hmm. Threshold Initiatives. Yes, that's right. And um, that's all about um, equipping and strengthening and blessing and, and ministering into uh, churches, uh, into ministry teams, uh, into pastoral teams, and so on, and all of that wonderful stuff. I have a huge heart for spiritual formation, spiritual transformation, yeah. renewal, and that, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they love Jesus deeply. So we are so glad you're here. Can't wait to hear what you have 
to share what God has shared uh, to you and you're going to share with us. Uh, I want to pray for you. Yes, please. Is it okay if I lay yeah. hands on you? Oh, yeah. Right. Love it. Father, I want to thank you for your daughter, Carmen. I want to thank you for the story that you have given her thus far, the journey that she's been on. I want to thank you for the various things that you've spoken over her life, through her life, the various ways in which you have equipped her and strengthened her, the gifts that you have bestowed upon her. And I just get a sense, Father, that you are so proud of your daughter. You have such an adventure ahead for her. I believe she's called to this moment. So I just want to pray, Lord, that if there is anything you need to communicate to her uh, right now, you would do so. But I pray that you'd anoint her, that your spirit would rest upon her, that you would just give her a settled sense of rootedness to this spot for this moment, for this time. I pray that you'd equip her. And I ask that you would give all of us hearts ready to receive what the Lord might have to speak through your daughter. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Good morning, church. I am so pleased to get to spend some time with you this morning. Um, It was probably, I want to say, 25 years ago, the last time I was in Seven Oaks. And uh, I was a young thing then, and I was actually part of a touring choir group from my college. And so we were in the big auditorium then, and I remember looking out thinking, this is probably the biggest church I've ever been in. Um, Because I grew up in a small northern town in Quinnell, BC, and, and never would I have imagined that 25 years later, I'd be standing here with you opening up the word together, and enjoying what the Lord has to bring for us this morning. Um, As Pastor Jamie mentioned, my husband and I have a ministry called Threshold Initiatives, and it's all about equipping people for transformational living. This is what Jesus wants in our lives, is that we're not going to stay where we've been. He wants to take us on a journey to become who he is creating us to be in the likeness of his Son. Where's my hallelujah? That's right. (laughs) So this is an exciting ministry that we get to be a part of, and we've really felt that the Lord has been leading and guiding us in this in the last season. Now, the thing about thresholds and how we landed on our name is that thresholds are places we can often get stuck, okay? And it's not actually a bad thing to be in a threshold season. It's a really thin space where God can meet us with intention to form us in our character and capacity to become who we need to be in the next season that we're about to step into. Because a threshold is just an in-between place, right? You're not where you were, and you're not quite yet where you're going. But this is an especially special, transformational place. So you could look at it as, dang, I've been stuck here for so long. Or you could look at it as an opportunity. And this is what I want to speak today about through the life of Joshua, is how God can shift our perspectives to see things the way that he sees them, rather than seeing them in a way where we have a negative view of things, but 
that there's actually opportunity to step into deeper transformational living with him. So as I mentioned, we're going to look at the life of Joshua. And I heard from some of our Joshua House friends, they were pretty pumped about that, since they have a deep connection with his life. Um, and I mean, if, if you know anything about Joshua, his, his story actually ex- is demonstrated through four books of the Bible. We've got Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and of course the book of Joshua that talks about the life of Joshua. And so he's kind of quietly hiding a bit in the background of Israel's formational years. And so we're going to look at three stories specifically with like a little bonus story. But before we get going, I would love to pray with you. Would you join me? So Father, I thank you. I thank you that Many of us are in threshold seasons right now where we feel a little bit stuck. And you know exactly where each one of us is, where we have been in the past, but also you have perspective on who we are becoming and you are moving and transforming us to become. We do not need to do that on our own strength, God, but that you do that in us through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. And so we just say thank you for the beautiful gift of your spirit in us and the sanctification that has come through the work of your son, Jesus. We want to be open to that today, to receive all that you have for us. And I pray specifically against fear this morning that it wouldn't limit our desire to follow you, that it wouldn't limit our ability to receive your love, And it wouldn't limit our ability to say yes and to walk in faith into the places where you are calling us to go. I pray today specifically that we would be willing to get our feet wet with you, Lord. To step into the places of the unknown, those uncomfortable spaces, and to trust you deeply. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us in this journey. That you would strengthen us and you would continue to draw us closer to the heart of the Father. I pray these things in the name of the Son, Jesus. Amen. So today we're going to look at how each of the steps in Joshua's life were leading him closer and closer to the promised land, yes, but how each step of obedience and trust to God was forming in Joshua and in the people of Israel They were becoming the people that God wanted them to be, and he needed them to be for the next season of their journey. So here's the bonus story we're going to start with, because it tells us a lot about who Joshua was. So the Israelites have come out of slavery. They're wandering in the desert, and there's this event that happens. It happens in Exodus 17, and there's a battle. It's the first battle. It's kind of the first testing of them as as a people coming out of slavery. Like, this is just a ragtag group. They were used to obeying masters. They weren't used to fighting on behalf of their people. So they're at this place called Rephidim. And through this battle, we see the character and the quality of Joshua, that he is faithful, he is obedient to the task set before him, no matter the outcome. Now, you'll remember this story that Joshua is enlisted to take a few men doesn't say all the men. It says a few men out to fight the Amalekites who are attacking them. And Moses goes up onto a hill with Aaron and Hur, and he stands there. And when his arms are lifted up, Joshua and his men are winning the battle. 
But when his arms get tired and start to droop, they start to lose. And as I was contemplating, even this morning, I was thinking and reflecting on this story, and I thought, what is significant about the fact that Moses' arms were raised in the air? It's not just like a, okay, my arms are up, we're winning. What do we do when our arms are in the air? That's right, we're praising God. We're praying, we're worshiping him. And so I believe that's what Moses and Aaron and her were doing on the top of the hill is that they were worshiping God. And as they worshiped him, the battle was being won. And when they grew tired and weary, the battle would shift. Now at the end of this battle, which they did win, because you'll remember Aaron and her prop up Moses' arms, something significant happens. God says to Moses, I want you to write this down so that Joshua can remember this. Okay, this is kind of the beginning. I don't even know how old Joshua would have been. He would have been much younger than Moses. But remember, he's going to take the Israelites into the promised land. So he's like one of the two people who gets to go from this generation into realizing the actual coming into the promised land. But this is a formational threshold for Joshua. He needs to remember what's happening So Moses builds an altar, and he calls it the banner of the Lord. And it says also in Numbers 13 that Moses changes Joshua's name from Hoshia, which means salvation, because Hoshia is not the Savior in this battle. We're worshiping God in the battles of our lives. Who is the Savior? It's not us. It's God, right? So Hoshia's name changes from salvation to Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. His name becomes a testimony to God's greatness as the one who helps and and saves. And this is evident in that battle with the Amalekites. So he needs to remember this. He needs to remember that it's not about him. It's not about his skills and abilities. It's about God's provision and that Yahweh is the one who saves. So Moses faithfully writes this down. They build an altar called the Banner of the Lord, and they start to move in to the destiny that God is calling them into. So they progress through the desert to the land of promise. You know that they kind of take a circuitous circuitous route to get there because God's doing something in the people of Israel. They're slaves. You can't enter the promised land as slaves. He needs to form them into the people of God. And what I think is significant when we look at the life of Joshua is he's very multifaceted. He's he's a very three-dimensional character through these books as we explore him. He fights the battles, so he's a military specialist. He He leads this army of people who don't know how to fight, so he must be training them. He becomes a spy. So he's into espionage, doing that role. He's chosen later to become an elder in the nation, but he's also Moses' assistant and aide. He is actually not present in the camp when they, when they create the idol and worship it. Whereas he, he's up on the mountain with Moses, worshiping God. And it says also that when Moses would go into the tent of meeting later on to meet with God, Joshua would stay there. He would never leave the temple, or the tent of meeting. He loved to stay there and worship God. That's pretty intense. That he didn't, he probably had his own tent and he didn't go to it. He wanted to stay in the presence of God. And after Moses 
when Moses is soon to pass, God says to Moses, I want you to make Joshua the leader. He is going to be the next leader of these people. So it's actually God who ordains Joshua. It's not the people who choose Joshua to be their leader. It's God who chooses him. So it is clear that Joshua is both loyal to Moses, his, his leader, but also to Yahweh, and he is faithfully devoted to obeying God's instructions through Moses. So that's the setup of Joshua. Now we're going to kind of dive deeper into three stories. So the first one is the 12 spies in Canaan. This is found in Numbers 13 and 14. And in this story, we can't, we, the Israelite people have moved through the desert, and they have come to the promised land. They're standing on the edge of it. They're standing on the promise. This ragtag group of slaves are standing there looking into the land that God promised over 400 years ago to Moses, or sorry, to Abraham, that his descendants were going to possess. Do you think they believed it? <laughs> I don't know. But they're standing there, and God says, I want you to choose 12 people. These people are going to be spies that you're going to send into the land of Canaan, and here's what they're going to find. You can read it in Numbers chapter 13, verses 17 to 20. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are weak or strong, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is, the fer is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes." Now, God had spoken to Moses at the burning bush, and he had said to Moses at that point exactly what these guys were going to find. But he sends them in, because God, that's what God asks them to do, send these 12 people in. What will you discover? Well, they find all the things that God said they would find. They found good land, good soil, really good fruit. It was a land of milk and honey, grapes, pomegranates, figs. However... There are towns, they're fortified, and they're kind of large. And the people, ooh, this is the report they're going to bring back. There's a lot of nations in this land, like a lot. Like every city is a nation. And that's a lot of people that we're going to have to, be, to, to subdue. Not only that, they're powerful. They have thick walls. You know what? They're actually kind of like giants. They're really big. And... We're just slaves. I don't know. I don't think we can do this. You know what? They're not just giants. They're descendants of the Nephilim. That's a legend, right? Like the, This is like the stuff of legends. Now we're really scared. So this is the report that 10 people bring back. This land is going to devour us. But Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies, they see things differently. They say, no, we can do this because it's not about us. It's about God. It's about his promise. He's asking us to step into it. If he says that we can step into it, he is going to be with us. That land won't devour us. We will devour it. With God's help, 
God is the one who will deal with them because it is Yahweh who saves. But they didn't see things the way that God intended them to know it. They, God wanted them to see both the benefits and the challenges. He's not trying to pull the wool over their eyes so they don't know what they're getting into. But in order to receive the gifts, God wanted them to trust him more than the difficulties. Trust him more than the giants that they could see. He wanted to transform the way that they saw their giant problems by right-sizing them to align with God's perspective of promise and covenant. Because here's the thing, God doesn't give bad promises. He gives promises he wants to keep. He wants to fulfill those promises. He doesn't make them like, oh, one day that'll happen. No, he gives us promises because he wants to keep them. And they are good. Even the song that we were just singing, I was so overcome again by the goodness of God. He is so good. Even if the gift or the promise that God has given you doesn't look the way that you expect it, does not make it a bad promise, okay? It might look different than you expected, but that does not make it a bad gift or a bad promise. In fact, it's going to be even better than you could ask or imagine. So, when given the opportunity to trust him to supernaturally provide what they were unable to lay hold of on their own strength and ability, what did they do? They rebelled. This is, this is their pattern. This is their family sin pattern. We talked about this in soul care. They did it over and over again. It was their default practice to rebel against God and start complaining. And so even though God had them right at the edge of the promise, all they had to do was step into it and trust them, trust him, they end up taking steps backwards. No thank you. I'm not going to do that. That's too scary. Instead, they agree with the mindsets of slavery and poverty that we're just grasshoppers. They're going to squish us under our, their feet. That's all that we are. They harden their hearts to God, just like the Pharaoh they just left. They harden their hearts and they say, no thanks, God. That's too big. That's too giant. That's too scary. Now, it's not that those dangers and fears weren't real. It was very dangerous to go into this land. But God's promises were bigger. And the fulfillment of them was right there. But they couldn't make sense of it logically, rationally. We trust this when God's asking us to trust him. Every day, they were receiving God's provision from, from him, manna, quail, water in the desert. And yet they were willing to trust what made sense here rather than making sense of what they were experiencing in their everyday life in provision from God. They trusted their fear more than they trusted God. So I have a question for you. And I've got a question for you at the end of each of these three stories. 
Identify a giant in your life that you're struggling to see from God's perspective. In what ways is that mindset or challenge limiting you from taking a step forward into the promises and relationships that God's given you? Is it something that you're rationalizing so, so much in your brain and agreeing with the mindsets of fear and control that you're actually not stepping into the thing that God's asked you to do? To talk to the pers- a certain person, to reconcile with someone, to trust him in your job or in your family or in your schooling. What is that giant that's there? This is a threshold moment for you in the same way it was a threshold moment for the Israelites. Because of their unbelief and disobedience, their consequence is one year for every day that they traveled through Canaan. The spies had gone in for 40 days, therefore 40 years wandering around in the desert. An entire generation lost out on realizing the fulfillment of God's promise. Not because he wasn't willing to give it to them, but because they said, no, thank you. And instead of stepping into that destiny that God had for them, they wandered around in circles in the desert with no land, no home, and nowhere to go. Here's a however, though, for you. This is not lost time to God. He can redeem and make all things new. Yes? Yes. So he takes those 40 years that they're wandering in the desert, and he starts to form them to become the people that they need to be to step into that next season. He takes a whole new generation, and he starts forming them into, in the character and capacity that they need to have to step into the promised land. So let's fast forward. 40 years, second story. We're on the edge of the Jordan River this time. Whole new generation. Moses has passed. Joshua's now the leader. He has been witness to all of this wandering, all of this choosing to step a different direction than the way that God wants them to step. And here they are. They're back on the edge of the promised land. This is found in Joshua 3 and 4. This is a threshold moment. Before them is this patriarchal promise that God had given to Abraham over 400 years ago. Now, there's three parts to the patriarchal promise. God promises that they would be a great nation, that they would be blessed by God and would be a blessing to the other nations, and they would be given a land of their own. So they had actually grown into a great nation. They were about 600,000 plus people at this point. It's a lot of people. I think it's actually that's how many fighting men that they had. So that's, that's pretty significant. Secondly, that they would, they, would be a bless, they would be blessed by God and be a blessing to others. They're about to figure this out. How can they be a blessing to the nations around them? And third piece, they're going to be given a land of their own. Well, they're on the edge of it. And the way that God had been shaping and forming them in the desert was through his presence. He had never left them in any of those 40 years. He was present with them so that they could learn to trust him and to obey him and to walk with him. It says that when they came out of the desert time, not a single one of them was sick. 
that's crazy. That's wild. That's, our God is a healer, and he did it so that even the soles of their shoes weren't worn out. <laughs> we can trust him for really great things. He provides for us. And he is giving them this land that he had promised to them. Now, when, when Moses commissioned Joshua to be the next leader, those are some big shoes to fill, hey? And Moses commissions Joshua with, a similar, with similar words that he himself was commissioned with. You can find this in Joshua chapter 1. In verse 5, we're going to read verse 5 to 9. Because this is prophetic. This is what's about to happen as they step into the land. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave or forsake you. If I was to be the leader after Moses, those are the words I would want to hear. Okay, the God who was with Moses, who met him on the mountain, who gave him the Ten Commandments, who led a group of slaves in the desert, that God is with me. Yeah, and he is going to help me to be the leader because it's Yahweh who saves, it's not me. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the left or to the right that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The last time they came to the edge of the promised land, they were afraid. They were discouraged. God is giving them a specific word for this time. Do not be afraid. I go with you. And if you look in verse 3, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. The promise I gave to Moses is still live. It hasn't died with him. I will give you every place you, every place you put your foot. The first place, though, is going to be in the river. It was flood season, and the Jordan River was raging. So this first step, this first step of trust, this first step of obedience and belief that the battle is already won before that the battle has even been fought starts by getting your feet wet. Okay? That's some trust. You're going to make a way, Lord, but I can't see it. Right? So they had to get their feet wet. So the priests are holding the ark, and the first thing they do is they step out in faith. But if they don't step out in faith, they're not going to be able to receive the promise that God has for them. If they don't step out in faith by responding to his invitation, they're not going to receive that blessing, that promise. And a lot of times, instead of receiving and responding to what God has done, we react to the circumstances around us. It's too wet. It's too scary. We're like grasshoppers. 
And so the Israelites enter into their covenant destiny with an elder from every tribe. As they step into that wet water, the water recedes. It gets piled up upstream. And as every elder goes through, they pick up a stone from the middle of the river so that they can remember, because this is something that's important in their story. They need to remember it. They bring those stones to the other side, and they create an altar to God so that, this is what it says in Joshua 4, verse 24, that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you always, you might always fear the Lord your God. This is to remind you God is powerful and he deserves your worship. He is worthy. This pile of stones created a testimony of God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his trustworthiness in promise and provision. So here's a question for you. What are the memorial stones from your life that testify to God's power and provision? Perhaps you need to revisit and remember those places as a reminder and encouragement of how far he has brought you in your journey, one step at a time. I've heard a lot of testimonies this weekend. And in fact, I heard something really neat about your church, that you are coming up on your 75th anniversary this year. There's a lot of legacy and a lot of heritage there that's really exciting and really beautiful and needs to be shared. Oliver and Verna were telling me about when they went to a healing service years and years ago, and that Oliver received healing there. These are the testimonies we need to hear. We need to be sharing them in, in this community, but in the larger community too. Leslie was telling me, you know what? Jeremy said that we should tell five people about the things that happened. I'm going to tell, tell 55. Why would I be limited? Let's tell people about what God has done. We need to have these testimonies. What are the testimonies from your story? Don't forget about them. Don't, get them. don't let them be buried in the bottom of a river somewhere. Pick up those memorial stones and share them. They need to be seen and they need to be heard because this is how people can know that God is a God who is faithful and good and trustworthy. Okay? Because you've experienced it. You've experienced him. Your story is powerful no matter what it is. Because it's actually not so much about you, it's about him. People need to hear that. Okay. Ready for the third story? Okay, third story. Battle of Jericho. Now, They'd fought the Amalekites. That's the one battle they'd had to this point. (laughs) And now they're coming to a walled, fortified city. They made it their way across the river. They thought that was going to be the first big thing they had to do, and it was. It was a step of faith, right? Make it into the actual land this time as a people. They're outside of Jericho. Now, Jericho was actually, so it was an intimidating city, but it only occupied about 12 acres, which isn't actually that big. My parents uh, live in Oyama, which is not too far from us, and they have a Christmas tree farm, and the farm is 14 acres. So when I started thinking about this, I'm like, well, I can walk around their property pretty quickly, like maybe within half hour, 40 minutes, if we walked the perimeter of 14 acres. But the thing about the city is it had two walls. One was 
I think it was five, what was it? Six feet wide. That's pretty wide. And then it had an upper wall that was 50 feet high. That's quite high. <laughs> so the Israelites, remember they're about 600,000 fighting men? I, and as I like kind of applied the numbers, to, you know, did a little bit of math, I was like, now if, they, if the first person started walking around this city and they got all the way around and there's 600,000 of them, I'm thinking they're, they're catching up to the end of the army. Right? So this is like they're walking and they're surrounding the city. I mean, the people in Jericho must have been like, oh, there's a lot of them. But that first day when they walked around it, th then they went back to their camp. How confusing would that be? <laughs> you surrounded us and then you left. Okay. But what I think is interesting about this battle plan that God gives them is it's about walking. It's about taking one step at a time. So they simply have to walk. They walk around the city for seven days. Trust me, God says, take a step. You walked into the river, I parted the river. Will you continue to trust me with each step that you take? Not a battle cry, just walk one foot at a time, one step, and trust him. The first step was probably the hardest. Because when you think, okay, we're going to go take over this land, it's going to involve fighting, not walking. <laughs> I mean, yes, you're going to walk. You're going to have to, like, traverse the land. But, like, just walking around a city, that seems like a strange battle plan. But this is a new generation. They're excited to trust the Lord, and they trust their leader. The first step must have been the hardest, maybe even the whole first lap. But God was up to something that the people of Jericho could not see from their walls. He was building faith in his people. That first step, that first lap. He was building trust. He was building relationship. And ultimately, God was building a nation. They needed to be a nation, not just a group of slaves. And this is what spiritual formation does in our lives. As we believe in the truth of who God is, we trust him in the formational ways that strengthen our relationship with him. He is forming you into the person that he wants you to be. He is forming you into the likeness of Christ with every step that you take with him. And trusting him is demonstrated through our obedience to do what he says and how he says to do it. The command is not just for the, for the Israelites to defeat Jericho, that's the what, but to do it the way that God says, which is the how. Likewise, they are to take possession of the land, what? By trusting in God's presence and promises to them. That's the how. They had a problem they couldn't say, solve alone, an inheritance given but not yet possessed. And with each step, they were circling or Jericho, their problem, their giant, and with each step, demonstrating their trust in God through obedience. Each step, asking the God of everything to fight the battle for them because it is Yahweh who saves. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if on the seventh day, on the seventh lap, they went, well, that's, this is silly, and they walked off. Rather than taking that one last step, what if they allowed their giant fears and their giant doubts that had been plaguing them each day as they walked to speak louder than their faith, 
to speak louder than their trust in God? What if they stopped short of completing that final lap? They knew the what, but what if they decided to change the how? What if they had taken up arms before that final lap was done? They would have fallen short of what God was calling them to. If you know the what and you know the how, but you choose to do it differently than what God is saying to you to do it, it's not, you're not going to be able to walk into the thing that God's calling you to do because you have to listen to the how just as much as you listen to the what, even if you don't like the how. The truth of God's promise to Joshua pushed back against those giants, giant fears. Remember, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He will not leave you. So on that final lap and that final step, when the trumpets blew that one long blast and the Israelites raised their voices to shout, I don't believe it was just a battle cry like, wah! It was a glory cry. As all of Israel in one voice cried out, Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Not Joshua, not me. It's God. And the wall collapsed and that giant obstacle, that immovable object, overcome by God's power, his strength, his strategy, his provision, to God be the glory. Here's my question for you. In what parts of your life have you been questioning the how of God's promises rather than trusting him for what he has promised? Have you been questioning the how when he wants you to receive the what? Joshua and the Israelites went on to fight many, many battles. They defeated 31 kings, and God gave Israel rest from all their enemies. Now they got to begin to live into the fulfillment of God's promise. Be the great nation, blessed to become a blessing, having a land of their own. None of this was possible when the earlier generation of Israelites focused on the how of the promise, the promised land. How are we going to get there? Mark Batterson, in his book, The Circle Maker, wrote, Moses had no earthly idea how God was going to keep his promise. But that's not our business anyway. That is God's business. Too often we let how get in the way of what God wants to do. We can't figure out how to do what God has called us to do, so we don't do it at all. But the how is God's business. What we see in Joshua's story is that trusting God is demonstrated by taking the first step of obedience towards what God has promised. That's what we need to be focused on when he says something for us to do. We need to focus on what is that first step that he's asking me to take. The fulfillment of that promise, the how, the final how, comes as we continue to take each step, following him into that promise. In order for a threshold season to open up 
into the next season of your life, you will need to take an uncomfortable first step. You're going to have to get your feet wet somehow because you have to step beyond your comfort zone. Even a threshold space that feels uncomfortable and like you're stuck there can become a comfort zone because it's familiar. And you could stay there for 30 years if you want to. 62. (laughs) But God has some hope for you in this. You don't need to stay there. Trust in him. Take that step. Get your feet wet. Whatever that is in your story, take that uncomfortable first step. In his final address, Joshua reminds the Israelites of this in Joshua 23, if you want to turn there. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read a few verses. So in verse 6, he says, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. And then in verse 8, But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be careful to love the Lord your God. And then in verse 14, Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know, that, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Not one promise has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. He does not fail in the what, nor does he fail in the how when we trust in him and we walk in that with him. Not one of his promises failed But sometimes we do. We fail to take that first step, or maybe it's even the final step of obedience toward the promises he has laid out for us in his word. Our entire relationship with God is built on promises and steps. His promises and each of us choosing to obediently walk out those promises in our lives with him, in him, and through him because he is never far from us. He says he will always be with us. Is there something that you have been circling with God? A giant that you need to see from God's perspective? Is it a promise that he's given you? Or an area of victory that you need to walk into with him? Stop asking him how and start praising him, right? Hands hands up in the air. Start praising him for what he has done and what he is doing. Worship will win the battle. God has already shown us how, actually, if you flip ahead in your Bible a little bit later, he gives us Jesus. This is the how. He is our how. He fulfills every promise in your life through Christ. It's through Christ's love, his death, his resurrection, It's Jesus who leads us out of slavery to sin. 
and into God's promised kingdom of freedom, peace, and fullness of life. You don't do this on your own. He does it with you. It is his spirit who empowers you to do these things. So if you feel weak and you're like, I can't, I can't possibly, God goes with you. It is his spirit that will empower and strengthen you. It is Jesus who fights on your behalf. Having paid the cost of our freedom and exchange, we receive victory. We receive hope. And here's something really cool. Jesus' name, Yeshua, is actually like Joshua's name. It means God saves. He came to save us and to bring to fulfillment all of God's promises in our lives because God saves This is what he's in the business of doing, my friends. He comes to redeem all and create new. He comes to save. Joshua concludes his address to the Israelites by saying that each person must choose for themselves this day whom they will serve. This is is one of the most famous lines of Joshua. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But each of you needs to choose this for yourself. We do this by yielding our hearts to him only. So to whom will you cry today? To whom will you say, save me? Hosanna, that's actually what Hosanna means, save us. To whom will you cry that? Will it be like Joshua or Yeshua? where you acknowledge that it is Yahweh who saves. To whom will you cry? Because Jesus promises to walk with you each step of the way, whether it's the first step that's the hardest or the last, so that you can know his saving power, that he is with you and will not forsake you, and you do not need to fear. Will you get your feet wet with him today? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and lead us in a song of response.